How many of us believe that Christ is our firm foundation? Come on, man. I believe that the Spirit of the Lord is in this place. And I'm excited to share the word because as Vian mentioned, we've been in this series called Resilient, Living Victoriously in a Broken World. And uh, I'm just so grateful for God that through Christ, no matter what happens around us, no matter what happens to us, it cannot conform the greater one that's in us. And because of Christ who has overcome the world, you and I can, in fact, live a victorious life. How many of us believe that in the house tonight? We can live a victorious, victorious life. And to illustrate this truth, we've been navigating through the Old Testament, and we've been looking at the life of the great prophet Elijah. And Elijah is a mighty man of God, a prophet sent by God at a critical time for the nation of Israel. And at this time, Israel in the Old Testament was under the rule and the reign of the wicked king Ahab. And Ahab was the worst of the worst. And the most detrimental decision that he ever made was marrying a woman named Jezebel. And Jezebel was outside of the family of God, which simply meant that she did not worship the same God of Israel. In fact, she worshipped the false God of Baal, or Baal, Baal. And Baal was acknowledged as the God of fertility, the God of rain. And rain was significant agriculturally in that time because where there was rain, there was crop. And where there was crop, there was harvest. And where there was harvest, there was provision. And where there was provision, there was prosperity. And Israel began to forsake the ways of the Lord to pursue prosperity. Now, if that doesn't give you a hint of the times that we live in, the Old Testament and the things that happen in the Old Testament is still relevant today. Where we have a bunch of people, myself included, we're guilty at times of idolatry. Where we pursue other things other than God and expect those things to fill the need in our heart. But how many of us know it's only Christ? Only Christ. And so Elijah kind of plops into the redemptive narrative of Scripture kind of obnoxiously. And he stands against the wicked king Ahab and he prophesies by the Spirit of God a three-and-a-half-year drought. And we've seen time and time again over this entire series how God has been faithful to provide miraculously for Elijah because of his faithfulness and obedience and willingness to stay bold and courageous in the name of the Lord, God provided for him through ravens and a widow. And last week we talked about how Elijah stands on the top of Mount Carmel and he wipes out 850 false prophets of Baal. He wipes them all out. He calls down fire from heaven, burning the offering, bringing repentance back to the nation of Israel. And Israel started to realize, I made a mistake. I realized that it's only God because the drought was a result of their drift. And so now that they came back to the Lord, how many of us would think wiping out 850 false prophets, fire coming down from heaven, that's a pretty cool ending to the chapter. That's like a Marvel movie, if you ask me, like Endgame's Avenger type stuff. I'm just waiting for Thanos to pop out in the Old Testament, but he's not there. But be a perfect picture ending. But the Holy Spirit, divine inspired word of God, decided that there's so much more to this chapter. And I speak that because I sense that over some of you this evening. You need to be reminded that there is so much more to this chapter of your life than you've settled for. And I believe that this word will minister to you in a way that would have hope again faith again in Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles, 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 41 through 46, we're going to see how God finally concludes this drought. You ready for the word? Yes. Clap your hands if you're ready. 
In Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, come. Verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is a sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed up to the top of Mount Carmel. In other words, he went up Cocoa Head. We're going to have fun tonight, trust me. And he went to Mount Carmel and he bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look towards the sea, he told his servant. And the servant went up and said, there is nothing there. And seven times Elijah said to his servant, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. I wanted to start our message this evening by doing a quick survey. By a show of hands, how many of you have ever been in a season of your life that didn't quite make sense? All of you. If your hand didn't raise, you're Jesus. <laughs> how many of you have ever been in a season of your life where you couldn't quite discern what God was doing in your life? Raise your hand. Amen. That's all of us. That's myself included. See, I was praying through this passage, and as I was studying, I realized something about the prophet Elijah. That there is a way in which you and I can discern what God is doing in our lives, even in seasons that do not make sense. And the title of our time together is this, Make It Make Sense. Make It Make Sense sense. One thing that does not make sense to my wife is how forgetful I am. I'm so forgetful, y'all. Like, I'm serious. I'm losing my wallet. I lose my phone. I lose my mind. I'll probably lose my train of thought all throughout the time that I'm here. But I'm always losing things, particularly my phone. And I'm grateful for Apple. Any Android users in the house, raise your hand. We'll pray for your salvation later on. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But Apple created this app called Find My iPhone. And this app is so clutch. I bless Steve Jobs and his team for creating this app. And I believe it was made especially for me. Because all I got to do now is I got to get on another Apple device. God forbid I lose that other device. <laughs> I got to go on that device and all I got to do is go on the app and I can ping my phone and my phone will make a sound and the sound will lead me to what was lost. But in order for me to hear the sound of my phone, I need to be in proximity of my phone. Here's the thing that we learn, one thing that we learn in this passage. You will oftentimes be able to hear what God is doing before you see what God is doing in your life. So the scripture says in verse 41... So Elijah told Ahab, go eat and drink. In other words, there's a three and a half year drought. But by faith, I'm going to say this to you, wicked king. That you don't got to worry about being scarce anymore. Because I perceive that God is about to make do on the promise of rain. You don't got to worry anymore. And he says something by faith. I hear, for there is a sound of heavy rain. Now we know contextually in our passage that there is no clouds in the sky. 
It hasn't rained in three and a half years. So what in the world was Elijah hearing? Was he smoking that holy stuff? I don't know. I think so. What in the world was he hearing? And this caused me and stirred me to do a little bit more digging. And I found out that the word sound in this text, in the ancient Hebrew language that it was written in, is translated to mean the voice. The voice. See, in order for us to perceive what God is doing in the season of our lives that don't make sense, we need to know his voice. But to know his voice is to know his word. To know his voice is to know his word. So what was this voice speaking? I have a personal hunch that, it, that Elijah was simply hearing the very last interaction that he had with God. In verse 1 in your notes of this chapter, God said to Elijah, this is what the text says, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Now watch this, instruction. Go present yourself to King Ahab. Promise, and I will send rain. Notice the way that God constantly communicates to the prophet Elijah. Elijah, I want you to go to the brook Cherith, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Elijah, I want you to go to Zarephath, and the widow will provide for you there. Now, Elijah, go present yourself to King Ahab, and I will send rain. This is significantly good news for anybody that feels like they are in a desperate situation this season. Because this lets us know that the word of the Lord, his instructions are designed to lead us to the fulfillment of a promise. God's direction leads us to his promise. And for every single desperate situation that you find yourself in this season, there is a divine solution for every desperate situation. For every problem that you face, there is a promise to be fulfilled. How many of us believe that? So Elijah says there is a sound of heavy rain. So here's the interesting thing. The word says, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Elijah was hearing by faith. So faith comes by hearing. You know what else comes by hearing? Anxiety, depression, worry, confusion, fear. So my question for those of you that find yourself in a predicament this season is, what are you listening to? What are you listening to? How many of us know there are a lot of voices in this world? But take heart because God's word makes it very clear that he is a good shepherd. And he leads us beside still waters. But his primary way of guiding his sheep and his children is through the word. His word is a lamp unto my feet. And Jesus said it himself. I have told you these things. That in me you will have anxiety? No. Peace? Yes. I have told you these things that you would have peace 
in this world you will have trouble, but check this out. Here's the instruction and here's the promise. Take heart, promise, for I have overcome the world. So Jesus says, my sheep shall know my voice. And to know his voice is to know his word. So Elijah, by faith, could hear what no one else could hear. And he knew that the promise of God had still not been fulfilled. So the passage goes on to say in verse 42, it says, so Elijah, or so Ahab went to climb up the mountain, or Ahab went to go eat and drink, but Elijah went to go up. He climbed up the top of Mount Carmel to pray. Now, I don't know about you, but if there's anybody that deserves a little happy meal in this moment, it's not Ahab. It's probably Elijah. Can we all agree on that? Elijah, after all, just wiped out 850 false prophets. I don't know if I can even take on two guys and fight two guys at once. This guy wiped out 850 false prophets. If there's anyone that deserves a little Kit Kat break, it is Elijah. But instead of calling it a day, Elijah went up to go pray. He went up to go pray. Now I want to... Jog our thinking when it comes to the word real quick. Could you imagine if Elijah stopped and settled for the victory at Mount Carmel? If he stopped at the victory at Mount Carmel. Don't get me wrong. It was a good moment. It was a good, good moment. But could you imagine if he said selfishly, I'm good. I know that God provided for me in Cherith. I know he'll provide for me. He provided for me in Zarephath. He'll probably provide for me again. Elijah knew that as good as the moment was on Mount Carmel, there was still a huge problem. There is still a drought. And the promise of God had still not been fulfilled. And I can't help but wonder how many of us have stopped and forfeited the promises of God because we stopped and settled for what was good instead of stepping into what was great. See, I believe that there are some of us in this place that your breakthrough has been snuffed out by complacency. And complacency will tempt you to compromise the promises of God. And complacency doesn't mean you're lazy because you can be complacent and productive. Complacency doesn't mean you're lazy. Complacency simply means that you have chosen to settle for less than God's best for you. See, but I believe by faith that God is raising up a generation of Elijahs, faithful men and women, that would not settle for good, that would trade in their complacency for a sense of conviction. People that would rise up to be the church, to be able to say faithfully that I got faith 
for my salvation, but I also got faith to save and serve others. I got enough faith that God will provide for me, but I also got enough faith to be generous and tied to the church. I got enough faith to drag my kids to church, those kolohe buggers, drag my kids to church, but I believe that there are people that he's raising up that wouldn't just drag their kids to church, but disciple their children at home. I believe that God is raising up a generation of faithful servants and men and women that will not just settle for their own salvation, but would step in to see their household get saved. I believe it. That is the entire premise of why Elijah did what he did. Elijah did not have a selfish faith. He had a selfless faith. He knew that the promises of God was not just for him. It was for an entire family of God. It was for an entire nation. And he did not choose to settle for good. He knew that God's promises were great. And some of you need to be reminded in this place that you have been anointed and you have been assigned with a destiny to reach your family. Enough faith to say these generational curses, they stop with me. Pornography stops with me. Addiction stops with me. Alcoholism stops with me. Divorce stops with me. You have been anointed and assigned to break the curses that you would say, who comes out of my line from now on will not be burdened by curses, but would inherit the, the blessing that God has for me and my children. And this was all because Elijah was in proximity to the word and he remembered the promise of God. And if you're in need of hope this season, know that your hope is found in the word. Your hope is found in Jesus. Elijah pushed through. I don't know about you, but I went Makapu light trail yesterday. I couldn't even make it past the first leg. But Elijah decided, I'm not going to stop here. I know there's a better view up ahead. Divine perception is revealed in proximity to God's word. Can I get an amen? amen? Point number two in your note says this. Divine perception is determined by your posture. Posture. Everybody sit up. My chiropractor said I got bad posture. I'm starting to get a hump back here and I'm trying to pray it away, but... Posture. So Elijah says in verse 43, or verse 42, continuing on, he climbed up to the top of Mount Carmel, and when he got there, the Bible says that he bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. So we know that Elijah is now starting to pray. He's praying, and he's simply just praying what God already promised. How many of us know that we got to pray according to the word and not our flesh? That's a whole other message, but I won't go there. He's praying that the promise of God would come to pass. Now, the Apostle James, in his epistle to the early church, writes to the church in James chapter 5, verses 17 through 18. He says, Elijah was a human like you and I. I know that gives us great hope, but that also tells us that we're nothing that special and neither was Elijah. But the context of this scripture is saying that the prayer of a righteous man prevails much. Which simply means that if you are in Christ and you receive his imputed righteousness in your heart, 
your powers are effectual and powerful. So Elijah was a human being even as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain in the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed and the heavens gave way and made it rain. Now I find it significant that this moment is found in the New Testament. So we know that it's really, really significant. All word is, all scripture is God-breathed and significant. But I find that James, interesting that James refers to our main text today. But our passage does not reveal what Elijah said. There's only a revelation of his posture. See, every single time that Elijah prayed up until this moment, the Bible, Holy Spirit-inspired word of God, reveals what he said when he raised the boy from the dead. When he called down fire from heaven, the Bible says exactly what he said. But the Bible in this text, where the promise is dependent on this prayer and God's faithfulness happening in this moment, it doesn't talk about what he said. It only reveals his posture. See, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't have gotten mad if Elijah walked like this and threw his hands up in victory. I wouldn't even get mad if Elijah decided to be puffed up with pride. But Elijah's posture reveals something about our prayer life to God. Elijah's posture is a revelation of what it means to walk in humility. Humility. See, how many of us know that you can be in proximity of the promise, but if you do not have the right posture, you will totally forfeit the promise. Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So isn't it interesting that... You can come to church and still miss the presence of God. That's why when you look around in worship, you shouldn't be looking around in worship, by the way. But when you do, you see some people like this. And it's no condemnation. And you see some people like this. Because there is a posture of humility to know I, this need be, is beyond me. I need the Lord. This is why you can have a plan for your life and still not find any purpose. And still miss his purpose. You can be successful in life and still never find significance. Why? Because pride will prevent you from experiencing the promises that God has for you. Proverbs. It's not in your notes. Pride comes before destruction. Isn't it ironic that it was Israel's pride that came before the drought? Because they decided, I got Baal. I don't need God anymore. I'm good, I'm straight, I'm good, God, I don't need you, I got bail. See, that's what pride is. Pride isn't thinking you're better than everyone else. Pride is simply thinking that you don't need anyone else. Pride comes before the fall in other translations. So when you don't have the people of God around you, you wonder why you fall and you, nobody's really there to hold you back up. Pride comes before destruction. Pride comes before the fall. Which leads me to believe that if you think that you don't need anyone, that leads me to believe that a pride-filled life is a prayerless life. It's a prayerless life. You know, I, I believe parents of teenagers, raise your hand real quick. Amen, we're going to pray for you so hard after this. Because I found out that pride starts at puberty. And I'm not saying that because it's cute. I'm saying that because it's true. You ever realize that, isn't it ironic that as soon as they hit a certain age, they suddenly think that they don't need their parents anymore? Sorry if you're a teenager in here. We believe in the next generation. But I'm just saying. <laughs> just spitting facts here. Isn't it ironic though? They think that they don't need you now. 
But then suddenly when the new iPhone comes out and the new Xbox comes out and the new PlayStation or Apple device comes out, oh, mom, daddy, I need you. And they posture themselves like Elijah. Ain't that crazy? Why? Because they realize that they do not have the resources to acquire what they're inquiring of. See, this is the crazy part. Elijah had every right to be puffed up with pride, but his posture was a humble posture. Saying that he knew that this need is beyond me. How many of us know? And we're not teenagers anymore, but our heavenly father will allow us to face needs that are beyond ourselves to draw us back to himself in prayer, back to the word, back to church, back to small group, back to serving. There is something about being apart from God will eventually humble you. And Elijah, though he was radical and did amazing and wonderful things, bent down to the ground, realizing that I know I raised a boy from the dead, but I still need God. I know that I called down fire from heaven, but I still need God. I know that I just wiped out 800, 800 false prophets, but I still need God, are there any humble witnesses in the house that would be willing to testify? I know I got a job, but I still need God to be my provider. I know I'm healed and healthy now, but I still need God to sustain my health. I know I'm married and in a relationship now, but I still need God as my bootang. Well, he's not a bootang, but he's my main squeeze, somebody. I still need God. Say it, I still need God. I still need God. I still need God. Elijah's posture is a revelation that bent knees oftentimes precede God's breakthrough. Because God's promises are reserved for those who are walking in humility. Humility. Divine perception is determined by your posture. Number three, divine perception is developed and built by your persistence in your obedience. How many of us know we don't got to be hearers of the word too? We got to be doers of the word. Persistence in obedience. You know, I was praying in the spirit the other day as I was studying this message this week. And I started praying. Because I realized that our subtitle for this series is Living Victoriously in a Broken World. And one of the results of living in a broken world is division. I mean, so we see a lot of division in our nation today. So much division. And I started asking God, God, when did it all start? When did division so, run so rampant in our nation? I know it's nothing new, but when did it start to take over our nation and the Holy Spirit, I think it was the Holy Spirit, he gave me a vision and a picture. And I have a picture up here on screen and I think I know when it all started. <laughs> How many of us remember this dress? Who sees white and gold? Raise your hand. We will pray for you after this service. Come to the altar. We need to fix your eyesight. This thing severed household, severed relationships with parents. Husbands and wives sleeping in separate bedrooms. It was, it was a terrible time. Terrible, terrible time. I'm sorry if this brings up old memories for you, but 
But this picture teaches us a real valuable lesson about our visual perception. That two people can be looking at the same exact thing and still not see or perceive the same thing. We're looking at the same dress. Some of us have broken eyes see white and gold. But two people can look at the same thing and not see or perceive the same thing. So the verse says in verse 43, as he's praying on the ground, he calls his servant. And he says, go and look towards the sea. The sea in this, in this region... This is where rain was known till this day to come from the Mediterranean Sea. So he says, go consult the source. He told his servant. And he went up and looked. And the servant came back and said, there is nothing there. And he said to his servant seven times, go back. Now, I went Makapu, like, I just got to say this. I didn't say it on Friday, but when I went Makapu yesterday and I had a revelation, I was like, man, what if, like, Elijah was, like, at the bottom of, like, that lighthouse trail, and he made him hike that whole thing, come back, and he said, oh, there's nothing there. Okay, go back up again. Oh, man, I don't know. I would have hid in the bushes, man, and I would have lied. I'd be like, Elijah, no more nothing over there. Trust me, I checked, and I'd be... And if that was in the Old Testament, I would have been struck down right there by the Lord. <laughs> See, but isn't it interesting that Elijah, the one who had their eyes closed, their eyes focused on Jesus, the, the one focused on God, the one focused on the promise, could see what God was doing or was about to do, but the one who had their eyes open consulting the source could not perceive or see what Elijah was seeing. That the one who had their eyes closed could see it, but the one who had their eyes open couldn't. I also had a revelation when I was talking to Pastor Kali about this the other day. Why did Elijah send his servant? Why couldn't he go look for himself? And I start to think, could it be as faithful as Elijah was, he knew that if he took his eyes off of God, it would have hindered his faith? See, this teaches, a, I think I know the difference between the two. One was walking by faith and the other was walking by sight. See, here's the reality about our world that we live in and our lives. We cannot control what we see. We have no control. It is beyond our control. But how we see, how we see our problems, how we see our situations and circumstances, how many of us know? That's totally our choice. Because we have a choice to make in seasons of hardship. Either we're going to look at it through the lens of God's promise or we're going to look at it directly at, for the problem. We're either going to look at it as a moment for God's deliverance or we're going to look at it through the lens of our own dysfunction. We can either look at it through the lens of fear or we can look at it through the lens of faith. So if you're in a hardship season right now, what are you looking at? Turn to your neighbor tell him, what are you looking at? That was awkward. More division. Spirit of unity fill this place. What are you looking at? See, that's the thing. Elijah, the servant, came back and said, there's nothing there. 
And some of you resonate with that so much. God, there's nothing there. I tried. There's nothing there. Let me tell you something about the servant. The servant's confession revealed what he truly believed in his heart. Because what comes out of the mouth is a reflection of what's in your heart. And what you perceive in this season of your life is a reflection of what you truly believe to be true about God. And how you, what you believe ultimately determines how you behave. And you will always behave in a way that is consistent with what you believe to be true about God. You will always behave in a way that is consistent with what you believe to be true about God. See, here's the thing. I want to speak directly to your situation. You need to understand that reality cannot shape God's truth. It cannot conform God's word. It cannot shape his character. God's truth and his word and his promises, however, should and can shape our reality. Here's why. You notice how life is so inconsistent? I'm inconsistent, you're inconsistent, our jobs are inconsistent, the economy's inconsistent. One moment we're here, the next moment we're here. Reality is inconsistent. But how many of us know that God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore? God's word is consistent. That's why Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away. Your situation, your disease, your financial status, your success, all of these things will pass away. But my word will endure forever. See, it's not that reality isn't true. It's simply saying that it doesn't have the final word. So if you find yourself in a season of poverty, allow me to speak the truth of God's word over your situation right now. I sense that there are some of you here. You're in a season of poverty. I want to remind you that God's word says that he is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that provides. And his word says to you today that you are rich according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And some of you in this season of your life right now have been diagnosed with cancer, with a disease that you never saw coming. I want to speak a better word over your reality. The truth and consistent word that God is the great physician and by his stripes you're already healed. And some of you in this season of your life right now, you have failed miserably. And you're wondering, does my life still have purpose? God's word speaks a better word over your reality because his word says that he is rich in mercy. And that you still, he still has a plan and a purpose for your life. And some of you lastly feel like you've been alone, you've been abandoned. But God's truth that is consistent wants to remind you today that he is an ever-present God. He is never, he's never going to leave you nor forsake you. See, the world will say, that's completely delusional. That's not delusional. That's called being faithful. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this. Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for. How many of us hope in Jesus? How many of us hope in his word? Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the evidence, the assurance of what I do not see. The world says, I got to see it to believe it. 
That's crap. Faith says, I believe it and I know that I will see it because my God is true to his word and what he spoke prophetically over your life will never return void and it will always accomplish that which is why it was sent. So declare this, say it with me. I will remain confident that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Give God praise. Elijah could see what the servant couldn't see. Servant said, There is nothing there. Husbands, raise your hand again. Some of y'all ashamed to be husbands or something? What is it? I see wives going like this. Put your hands up. How is husbands? How many of you know that if you have a hunch from the Holy Ghost that your wife is upset at you, when she when you ask her, honey, what's wrong? And she says, Oh, there's nothing, nothing wrong. How many know the higher the pitch, the more they're lying? Nothing's wrong. How many of us know that wisdom says that there is something wrong, even when it says that nothing is wrong? Amen, husbands. See, the greatest indicator that God is up to something in your life when seasons don't make sense, the greatest indicator that God is up to something is when it feels like there's nothing. However, God does something inside of you to address your belief. He does something inside of you before you have the ability to perceive what's happening around you. So this is why Elijah puts his servant in weight training. Weight training. This is why God puts us in seasons of waiting. I don't know about you, but waiting is fighting words to me. Don't you dare tell me to wait. I'm an impatient person. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm gentle in spirit. God's working and sanctifying me. I'm very impatient though. It's a cuss word to me. Like I'm so impatient, y'all, that like when I order something from Amazon, like I check the tracking number at least like 20 times in one hour. Because <laughs> I want to track the progress to my package. How many of us just wish that the promises of God came with a tracking number? I wish that right next to the scripture it would have a date on it. How many of us just wish that? But I've learned that God doesn't give us a tracking number because he's trying to train our trust in him. So he will put us in seasons of waiting where he will delay the promise to develop your perception. And that's an irony in itself. Because how is it a delayed promise when God is all controlling in time? So to us it's delaying, to him it's right on time. Delayed promises to develop your perception. So this is why the word of God says in your notes, Isaiah 40. But those who wait on the Lord, everyone say wait. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Which simply means that your strength is built in the waiting, your resilience is built in the waiting, your resilience, your endurance, your perseverance is all developed in seasons of waiting. And the servant needed to have his faith and his strength renewed. 
But how many of us know that renewal of mind comes by repetition of obedience? So he puts him through weight training. And he makes him do seven reps of trust and obedience. So the text says, he says to his servant, seven times, go back. Go back. Go back. Go back. We have Vian up here. He's going to help me illustrate. Let's give a hand for Vian. You can stay right there, right there at the bottom. Vian is the faithful servant. He is in real life. I'm not just saying that. He's a faithful servant. So he says to his servant, go back. Now I want us to catch something here. Could you imagine if the servant said, nah, before I go back, I need to see proof. I need to see evidence that I'm not just wasting my time. I need to see proof before I obey. Any of you ever been there before? So if God in his sovereignty knew that it would require seven times, how many of us know that if the servant didn't move, the longer he moved, the longer it would have took? So he makes his servant go up and down seven times. See, I sense in the spirit that some of you are waiting on God to do something, but God is actually waiting on you. And delayed promises is not an excuse for delayed obedience. See, because in seasons of waiting, we confuse patience with passivity. But patience and persistence work together. Because what you do in the season of waiting is just as important as what you are waiting on God to do. And delayed promises is not an excuse for delayed obedience. See, what was the servant doing in the season of waiting? He was doing what a servant does. He was serving. What do waiters do, waiters do in restaurants? They serve. And I sense that there are some of us in this place that are just saying stuff like this in your mind. Well, when I get that raise, God, then I'll start being generous. Then I'll start tithing. Okay, God, when I have time, then I'll make it to small group. When I have time, then I'll start serving. Oh, Lord, <laughs> when I get married, then I'll be a good person. How about you stop waiting for your Boaz and you start trying to be the right person instead of praying for the right person so that when that right person comes along and the promise is fulfilled, you won't bring all your toxicity and baggage into... Okay, I'm meddling now. All right. <laughs> but God is... Some of you are waiting on God, but God is actually waiting on you. Simply because he wants to see that if you'll be faithful with the little, he'll know he can entrust you with much. So seven times, up and down, seven reps. All right, you ready? You sure? He's going to demonstrate this. Now, I just want to speak contextually because we don't know. It wasn't this high. I can guarantee you the Bible. Elijah didn't make him go up this high. It was probably Makapu. I, I choose to believe that it was the length of Cocoa Head or something. But anyway... We don't have cocoa here, but we have these, the Mount Carmel, I guess. So I want you to do me a favor, okay? All right. Seven times I want you to come up and down. You got to hurry because I'm running out of time. Holy snap, I'm running out of time. All right, ready, go. Let's give you a round of applause. Woo! All right, what do you see? What do you see? Nothing. <laughs> go ahead. All right. Come back up. What do you see? 
Okay, go back down. Hurry up. Come on. What do you see? Okay, go back down again. Come on, let's give him some claps. Woo! What do you see? Okay, how many times is that already? Five. Okay, hurry up. You got, you got two more. <laughs> what do you see? Okay. Come back up. All right. How do you feel? Tired. Tired. Thank you, Vian. Let's give Vian a round of applause. Some of you, that's your confession in this season of life. I'm tired. God, I'm sick and tired of waiting. I've seen you. Some of you were looking at me all smug. You were like, you don't even know, Jarek. I've been praying. I've been sowing. I've been giving. God is well pleased with you. I just want to tell you that. But some of you have been wondering, God, what is the point? Why am I still praying for my family? Why am I still waiting, God? What is the point? This seems pointless. I want to remind you that what seems pointless in this season is actually preparation for the promise that God has for you. And isn't it ironic that in real weightlifting, that it is oftentimes the very last rep where you feel the weakest? But it is oftentimes that very last rep that produces the most strength. See, some of you need to realize that the longer the wait, the greater the weight of blessing and provision and promise that God has for you. Because he wants to develop your character. I want to speak that over your life. Some of you need to understand that God is simply wanting to set you apart where he is developing your dependency. He is training your trust. He is consecrating your character. He's forging your faithfulness. I worked in construction for about 10 years and I worked on a lot of high rises and I learned that the higher the building, the deeper the foundation needs to go in order to support the weight structurally and the heights that it's called to reach. I want to remind somebody in this place that you are still called to great heights. You are still anointed. You are still loved. You are still called and you still have a purpose for your life. still have a purpose for your life and Galatians 6 9 says do not grow weary in doing good for at the proper time everyone say proper time for at the proper time you will reap a harvest there it is again just came on me instruction to obey do not grow weary for in the proper time promise you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Divine perception and trying to make sense of what God is doing in your life can only be done over time and persistence in obedience to what God has told you to do. And the last point in your notes is this. Divine perception empowers you to persevere in faith. I wanted to share a quick testimony about what God has been doing in my family. Just to show you that this isn't just cute words, but this is the living word of God that is available to anyone who would trust in Him. For about eight years, my wife and I have been praying for my family. And just like many of you, a lot of dysfunction, a lot of brokenness. For me personally, a lot of wounds and a lot of hurts. 
So when I got saved, God gave me a radical vision that one day I would see them in the house worshiping the Lord. And I was passionate. And over time of waiting, it just became one of those prayers that I prayed just because I knew it was religious and I needed to do it. So I didn't really believe that God could do it. I was just doing it because I didn't see the point. I mean, I, didn't, I was losing faith, so I would just pray it with no substance in my prayers for my family. And so last month, on a Friday night service, I was scheduled to preach, and I preached a message called Cherish the Moments on Cherith. And that night, I was preaching, and I realized that my little brother, who's in middle school, um, we've been bringing him and my little siblings to church, and he was leading the pre-service prayer at the Yacht. And so he was leading pre-service prayer. I was preaching, and it's nothing about the platform. But I was just so grateful because I realized, wow, God is actually really doing something in my family. And so I texted my brothers, like, yo, go get them, champ, love you. And, and I'm in my office at home, and I'm preparing for the message, and I start crying because this is the first time I ever heard the audible voice of God. And he told me, he said, son, I am doing something in your family. And the scripture to back it was Acts 16.31, believe and you and your whole household will be saved. So I said, God, all right, I'm in it. Renewed with a passion, I show up to preach that night and I sit in the car with my wife and my siblings in the back and the Holy Spirit pressed something heavy on my heart. He said, you need to pray right now. And so my wife and I, we're praying in the Spirit and we're praying with my siblings in the back and God spoke to me and the Holy Spirit said, this message is for somebody. And I said, great, God. And so I got up and I preached the word as faithfully and passionately as I could because I knew that God gave me a message for somebody. And as I was speaking and preaching to somebody, I finished that night, left everything there, and I went home to relax. And the very next morning on Saturday, I get a phone call. And it's my cousin, and he's weeping hysterically on the phone. And he lets me know that our baby cousin, our younger cousin who was in the Navy in Japan, she ended her own life. She ended her own life. And I spend the rest of that Saturday with my wife, mourning and grieving and wondering, God, are you a liar? Because yesterday you just told me clearly that you were going to do something in my family, then this happens? Is this what you're doing, God? Can I be honest in church today? That's how I felt. Is this a reflection of your faithfulness, God? The following day, that Sunday, I help out with our morning services and I sat in the car at 6 in the morning and I was scheduled to preach that night and I said, God, if you don't want me to preach and you want me to sit this one out, I'm totally fine. But if you want me to, give me the word. And you know what the Holy Spirit spoke to me? He said this, the person that the word was for was for your cousin. It was for somebody that was feeling just like her that night. Pastor Kalai said, are you sure? I can, I can step in for you. I said, yeah, no, God told me I need to, and I did it with compassion. But how many of us know when I preached it, I wasn't being fake about it, but I was wrestling with the truth in my own heart. Because now I'm confronted with the reality that whatever I preach and whatever I speak and whatever I study has to apply to me. So I preached that word, and that wasn't the hardest thing about that night. The hardest thing about that night was going to be with my family that night. And I show up to the house and my auntie, my cousin's mom, 
she comes running into my arms and says, honey, can you just, she's weeping and she says, honey, can you just pray that God lets her into heaven? And that shattered me. Because she did not understand that the gospel is not based on anything that we do. It's based on what Jesus has already done. And I believe, that's a sermon for or a message for another time, but I believe that she's saved. And the peace of God came over me and I told her, Auntie, I, I believe that she's with the Father. And I stood up in front of my entire family to pray. And I said, you know what, I cannot make sense of any of this. I don't know why this happened, but I do know that God is good. And so I pray. And after all the adrenaline of the weekend comes down and subsided, that Monday I'm wrestling, I'm grieving with my wife, and we never stopped praying for our family. So we continued to press in like never before. Six times, six days, six times he went up and saw nothing. Six days we prayed and seen nothing. Eight years we prayed and seen nothing. And on the seventh day, on that following Sunday, I see a cloud as small as a man's hand rising from the sea. Because my auntie texts me that morning and she tells me, honey, I think I need Jesus. So she shows up to service and I'm out there in the parking lot and I don't even know how to make sense of all this. And I see her come out of the car and I see behind her my entire family. gets better so I'm freaking out right I'm the operations director so I'm like making sure ushers you better seat them you better treat them properly greeters you better smile right now because they're hurting you need this you know you know when you're bringing people to church you want everything to go good or the message you want to tell the pastor hey can you preach this message this is what they're going about so I sit them in the back row right there and they're there and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm literally struck. I don't know what to think. I don't know how to process. And I'm standing in the sound booth back there and we were worshiping and we were singing this song, I Speak Jesus. And a line in that song says, Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name. And again, the Holy Spirit dropped on me and he said, son, the same thing that he said to me a few days earlier. I told you I'm doing something in your family. Don't you ever doubt it. They're worshiping. Messages preached by, powerful message by Pastor Reggie. And, and during the response time, it goes from being a cloud as small as a man's hand to the abundance of rain and some of the promise fulfilled because three of them gave their lives to Jesus that night. See, how many of us know that we don't need for it to make sense in order to know that God is faithful? We don't need it to be our ducks lined up in a row in order for us to know that God is good and He is faithful to His word and what He speaks and what He, what he prophesied over your life and your household, He will not fail. And we don't need to make sense of everything sometimes when we know that God is good and when He's faithful. 
you realize that the entire gospel message is predicated on a simple truth that does not make sense? How in the world could a God so holy and righteous and just send his only son to die for a bunch of people that would constantly reject him, that would constantly turn their back on him. And every single time we turn around, he is still there. How in the world does that make sense to the human mind? But I learned that faith is what bridges the gap between what does not make sense and what is absolute truth. Charles Spurgeon said this, and I want to close with this. God is too wise to be mistaken. And God is too kind. He is too good to be unkind. And he says this, when you cannot trace his hand, we must trace his heart. We must trace his heart. And with every head bowed and eyes closed this evening. There are a handful of you in this place that if you would just be honest before the Lord and humble yourself because he's here and he's present and he wants to heal you. And you've been disappointed time and time again. I don't know what that is, only you and the Lord. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. There's been some letdowns. And if you would be honest, you thought, God, did you not hear my prayer? God, I've been doing all of this. Is all of this for nothing? Tell me to move on. If that's you and you've waited and you've given up and you've wavered, I want to ask that you would unashamedly throw up your hand. And I want to pray for every single one of us in this house. Thank you, Father. My hand is up as well. Thank you, Jesus. Go ahead and put your hands down. Father, you saw every hand and you see every heart. And we thank you, God, that your eye has never left us. Your ear has never been deaf towards our prayers. Beyond hearing it, you felt the pain. You felt the pain on the cross. You felt it all. God, I sense right now you're wanting to awaken our hope. God is speaking to some of you right now. That which you have given up on, God is about to restore. That prodigal son and daughter that you've been believing for, they're coming back home. I know that you didn't get healed yet, but God is wanting to heal your heart right now. Father, I pray for every single brother and sister in this house who have a spirit of disappointment on them. God, we pray that the spirit of joy in knowing that you are enough and that what you have spoken, what you have put in our hearts, the dreams, the desires that are aligned with your word, the prophetic words that you've spoken over our households, we thank you, God, that you are faithful to bring it to completion. What you started, you will not leave undone. And until then, we choose to trust in you. We step with you. We walk with you. And I thank you, God, that even right now, you're giving us a vision. You're holding our hands. And you're saying, son and daughter, it's time to believe again. 
It's time to hope again. It's time to serve again. It is time to believe. It's time to go back to marriage counseling. It's time to pray for our family. It's time to step up. God, it's time to rise up in faith. And we thank you, God, that it is by your strength and your grace that you strengthen our knees to run this race, knowing that whatever comes against us, hell cannot wage war with what you've spoken. And so we thank you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen.